Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do, where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Tyler, what have you been watching? Well, I let me lead off oh, by okay. saying sure, that sure. my, you may notice my voice is a little subdued. Um, I, and the reason that we're recording this on, uh, on zoom instead of in person is because, uh, I noticed a, a scratchiness in my throat a couple hours ago and I was worried that I would, uh, that I was going to get a cold. Um, that's usually how it starts. And so we thought like, you know what I, if, if that is in fact what it is, then I would not want David to, to get that as well. So, um, and my, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's definitely I think we've talked about this before that like as as I've gotten older, the idea of like getting sick is actually a giant inconvenience. Whereas when I was a kid, it's like awesome. I just get to hang out at home. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's very funny. But at the same time, so I might have a cold. I'll know tomorrow. Essentially, it could be that it could also be. And David, I feel like you can appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Today I was I did a lot of uh, driving. I was uh, the nanny was here, so I I had errands to run, and I went to the library and and all that. Uh, and while I was in the car, uh, as you know, I've been listening to a lot of Gogol Bordello, and I uh, was listening to the song um, "When Universes Collide," which is a really okay. wonderful song. And I started singing along with it. <laughs> and I will do a thing where it's like. Can I match? Can I do an impression of the singer? Now that can get me in trouble sometimes. Um, like if I'm trying to match uh, raspy Tom Waits instead of growly Tom Waits. Okay. Uh, and so Eugene Hutz, like with that one, and I try to match the accent too. That's the other thing. And when doing like a, a, a Russian thing, I notice that for whatever reason, the back of my throat opens a little bit. So I have to like sort sort of like do this sort of thing. And, and <laughs> I feel it back here as opposed to when I'm doing something. So I'm singing loudly over and over, in fact, in my car, because I wanted to make sure I got the lyrics just right. <laughs> and uh, and the whole time I'm kind of scraping the back of my throat, which is more open than it usually is because I'm trying to mimic his singing. Uh, I, I hope this is why you're throat hurts right now it absolutely you know what it's the kind of thing that like because i got home and i'm like man I'm, i hope i'm not sick and so like i still had some things to do around the house before recording and as i was doing it i found myself because it's a it's a very catchy song and so i was quietly singing it to myself and i noticed my throat was opening up to do it even quietly and i was like Son of a bitch. I'll, you know what? It could be that that could be a problem. And so, uh, so yeah, we'll know tomorrow that, uh, and if that's the case, man, they got to put a warning label on those, uh, on those albums, man. Like, uh, he's, uh, he's a special guy, but anyway, so I thought you'd appreciate that as somebody who enjoys singing as well. I do. I do. I, and I, I, I get that. Yeah. I think I, I do subconsciously. I think when I'm singing along to a song, I'm kind of like, doing i guess the 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 voice mm. but then sometimes i do find it fun to like again this is just in my car where no one else is around 
singing like a vampire weekend song or something in something that's closer to my natural sure. register, which is much lower than, than Ezra Koenig's. Um, uh, that's why I find a lot of, um, certain magnetic love field songs are, mm-hmm. um, uh, magnetic fields, the 69 love songs is what I meant to say is the album by magnetic fields. Some, some of those are easier for me to sing along to because I can do the deep voice, yeah. uh, much better. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, adventures in us singing along in our cars. It's yeah, and it's it's tough with Gogo Bordello because they will their lyrics are written and sang sung, pardon me, in broken English, and so it's hard to sing in your own voice that, like those lyrics, and so uh, it just sort of inspires you to try and do the 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 cadence and it's like, well, as long as I'm here, I might as well try and like really belt it out the way he does. And uh, yeah, it uh, one way or another, I'm sure it did not help uh, my throat. If in fact I'm getting sick. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, obviously even just now when I'm like, okay, it's like, look, my natural charisma just can't help, but, but come through, even if, even though I am trying to keep my voice a little bit low. Um, But anyway. uh, Okay. So, the first uh, movie that I have is Jonathan Schroeder's documentary, The Boys in Red Hats. Uh, did you get a, a, a thing about this? Maybe. Uh, okay. I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar, though. It's a documentary about the, the Covington Catholic kids uh, the, at the Washington, was it the Lincoln, uh, no, it was the Washington Monument or okay. the Lincoln Memorial? I don't okay. remember. Um, but it was, you know, that was it the Black Hebrew Israelites yelling at the kids and then like Nathan Phillips, the random like native American uh, activist who like walked up and started drumming. And then they kind of uh, defiantly like did their school shouts and stuff. And then people got a photo of Nathan Phillips and this other kid, Nick. And that photo just kind of went all over the place. And so, yeah, no, I don't think I um, got anything about this. I think they're targeting you. uh, It's possible. Um, Though uh, they targeted me incorrectly, I must say, um, because I think the film, there's a lot there that I like. Um, Like, I have to write a review for this thing for more than one lesson. I figured, hey, why not just throw it on BP as well? Maybe even BP first because it's higher profile. Um, And but I haven't written it yet because there's just so much to say about the way the director makes this movie. First off, it's, I mean, he is taking several pages. I don't mean in a dishonest way, but stylistically, he's taking a lot of pages out of Michael Moore's book, like a lot. So it's like Um, funny or it's like trying to be funny? Trying to be funny. Yeah. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not. He is a big character uh, in the film because he went to Covington Catholic uh, when he was younger. And so a lot of it has to do with like his own misgivings about the school. And part of me is like, great. I think that's, that's not bad. You know, you're bringing something of yourself to it. Um, but at the same time, and, and, you know, he, he tries to be, um, transparent and tries to show, like he shows, uh, discussions he has with his producer about like, well, let's try and talk to this person. Oh, that's a hard no. Okay. Let's try and talk to this person. That's a hard no. And so instead he just talks like, experts and then like parents of like other Covington kids, uh, uh, students, pardon me, uh, Covington Catholic students. Um, and it's all, and, and he also tries to document sort of his own 
feelings and, and like, oh, you know what? I was angry with the Covington kids. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, they did nothing wrong. And then, oh, wait, maybe, maybe there's more to this. And so I, I appreciate that it shows him kind of going back and forth. I feel like it really does capture just the way people, you know, the way a story develops and comes out uh, these days. So there's a lot there. And yet somehow there is sort of a, a, a grasping at straws uh, quality where you realize like, well, he doesn't actually have much here. Uh, he uses it, you know, he does interview um, uh, some experts and, and that's all well and good. Um, but it just still feels like he's almost too close to the material. And at times like Covington Catholic play just like looms large in his own, in his own past that I think he overstates in who he chooses to interview and how they are represented. I think he overstates the influence and the, the bigness of this school. It's hard to explain. Essentially like he's trying to, because uh, conversations of white privilege come into, into play and all of that. And, you know, he's talking to reporters about white privilege who's and, and, and um, uh, professors and that sort of thing who specialize and say like, well, Hey, these Covington kids, like they've been privileged their whole life, all that sort of thing. So that's on one side. And then the other, he just talks to like the parents of, of, of the students. And she's like, well, that's, I, I don't require that the movie be balanced, except he seems to think it's balanced. And it's like, well, talking to just some random parents is not the same as talking to like experts. Cause there are experts that might say the opposite. Like, but I think in his mind, talking to representatives of the school, it's like, but that's like, he, he's constantly talking about how huge Covington is in its local community. And it's just, it's a weird, it's a, the, the choice of interview is very odd because everybody he talks to is it plays a role in the larger film but it feels like he he there there are several avenues he doesn't go down and so in some ways it feels like he's not inquisitive enough and it just feels like he's because he's close to the material it feels like he it just gets lost uh, along the way and and it wound up being just kind of a frustrating movie for me as well. And with all of that, with that kind of quirky would be funny, Michael Moore style, it's like, Oh, this is not the way to make, to, to do this. So uh, it wound up just being kind of a frustrating movie for me. Not because, not even just politically. It's more just because I'm fine with representing a side that I don't agree with or do agree with or whatever it is. But in the spirit of trying to be inquisitive and trying to capture everything and, and ultimately trying to, bring everything together and be like, no, we need to be unified and all that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's, I, I get what you're doing, but you didn't do it or you, and, but yeah, but I think you think you did. And it's just one of those kind of things that uh, I don't know. It's, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily an easy movie to, to find. I think it's going to be available like uh, on streaming soon. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious to know what you think of it. It, for me, it just feels like just from an artistic and journalistic standpoint, I think it falls short. Yeah. It sounds like something I would just rather not. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think you're fine. I, mean, I think you'll be fine. You said something earlier about like the way that stories come out these days. Another thing that stories do these days is go away. And that's mostly a bad thing that, that, that things get forgotten too quickly, but sometimes maybe a story needed to go away. I'm not sure, uh, that we needed the, the Covington, uh, um, 
stare stare down uh, movie. Yeah, there's, but it sounds like it sounds like he should have a take, but he just doesn't. Or it kind he doesn't, of yeah. he doesn't know what his own take is. Maybe he develop. I think he comes to a take somewhat arbitrarily, but doesn't earn it. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things. Like the big thing you come away with is just like there are really no winners here. I mean, yes, there's the kid who's who's suing all these networks, but admittedly, that is after a lot of people said. Uh, this kid should be punched in the face. This kid should be put into a wood chipper, stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah. that's a tough thing for a 15 well, I mean, year old. I don't know how, I don't know how much it gets into, into this. And I need to like, you know, maybe um, check my own uh, assumptions as a, mm-hmm. a, as a leftist, but it's called the boys in the red hats. The red hats here are referring to MAGA hats. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and I don't, and I tend to sympathize see the wearing of that hat in public as the aggressive act so that anything that is then done to someone who's wearing that hat is essentially self-defense because that person is uh, uh or, or at least i mean i'm exaggerating by saying essentially self-defense that's supposed to be you know a, a joke but that person is that hat is a threat and i think a lot of people see it that way i tend to see it that way my myself um but I guess I need to keep in mind that maybe the people who are wearing those hats don't necessarily see it as I'm going to wear this hat to go out and fuck with people and piss people off and ruin people's day, which is right. still how I tend to see it. It's like, oh, you're wearing that hat in in, in public. You're being an asshole on purpose. And it was like, like, like uh, you're like uh, you're essentially uh, John McClane at the beginning of Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> That's a, I mean, that's like a joke reference. With that but sign that's that like, says, like, I hate everyone, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> oh, you only saw it on network TV, I guess. Yeah, well, um, what's the problem with that? I mean, sh- everyone, that's us. You know, we shouldn't like that either. Uh, so what did you see, David? Um, God, where do I, uh, what did I start with? Oh my gosh, I saw a movie. And well, hopefully we'll talk more about this um, uh, next week because it's part of a thing that I'm uh, doing. But I watched a movie from 1996 movie celebrating its 25th anniversary but that um you've probably never heard of and is um only available for for home viewing on amazon if you pay four dollars and it's a terrible sd transfer that's like Hmm. uh posted stamped like within like it's within my screen i had a big screen it was smaller um but it's a movie called color of a brisk and leaping day directed by a guy named christopher munch and it's even with how ugly the transfer was, I this movie is beautiful, mm. and I I hope someone undertakes a a, a restoration uh, of it. Um, it's I guess you would call it a bit of historical fiction because um, it's overall subject matter. It's 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 larger subject matter is the. Um, final months of the Yosemite Valley, Yosemite Valley railroad line, which was a railroad line that ran from uh, Merced, California into Yosemite national park um, starting in the 1910s. And then it closed in the uh, August, 1945. Um, and uh, this movie sort of invents a, uh, uh, a, a character i'm not sure i haven't looked enough into the history of the railroad to know if the if if a young man actually did like get investors and buy the railroad and try to save it over its last months but basically this uh this young man who's like fresh out of college and is obsessed with trains convinces some some people um including uh 
a man played by the actor John Deal. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to let him buy this, this, this train. Uh, and he spends a few summers, he spends the rest of the, the summer in 1945, going back and forth between the hotel he's living in, in Merced and the uh, other end of the station in Yosemite, um, which is where his um, business partners um, or his business partner, I guess, uh, played by Henry Gibson and his um, employee turned sort of supervisor played by Michael Stipe of all people. It's a fun casting here. Um, and while he's in, oh, so over the course of the summer, he also has a love affair. He falls in love with a, uh, a woman who's a park ranger at, at, at Yosemite. Um, but uh, it, we, we know going in that it's, it's one of those movies we know that it's uh, going to be a bittersweet and things are going to, to, to fail. And um, you feel so much of this guy's hope, not just for himself, his love of trains. I mean, there's like just a scene where, cause Michael Stipe knows uh, how to actually like his character's name is not Michael Stipe, but uh, knows oh, how to like shame. actually drive a train. And so there's like a scene of the main character um, uh, who's, name I'm, I'm forgetting the actor's name um being like in um in the engine like being t- taught how to like and it gets very technical i couldn't tell you what i don't know if michael stipe himself would uh remember uh, <laughs> any of his his dialogue but um uh let's see uh peter alexander is the main actor's name anyway um it gets very technical and i'm i just love that kind of like I like listening to people who are passionate about something, talk about that thing. Even if I'm not passionate about it, there's just like, I I just enjoy that kind of nerdiness. And so you've got the scene of Michael Stepp explaining, uh, okay, you have to do this and you should do this, you have to do this. And like, he does it. And then he's like, once he's done it and it's like, he's got the coal in there or whatever, he just sort of leans out the window and you get the shot of him just like zooming through the California countryside. And it's like two, it's like two different kinds of like, the beauty, the the natural beauty and the technical beauty mm-hmm. that he, that, that I think, I mean, this, I, I don't love trains, but this movie like gets across what people love about trains, yeah. about both the romance and the machinery and the know-how and the uh, industry behind it. Like I, uh, at the travel, um, uh, I, I, it's, it's very, it's very cool. There's also like, there's other, like you see him learn. There's a part where it's in the middle of like a romantic scene, um, between him and, and his, uh, love interest who is played by an actress named Jerry Arredondo. Um, and there it's outside of this engine or this, uh, uh yeah, I guess, uh, locomotive, whatever the main, the main car is called the engine, right? The one, the, the, the engine the, the one that drives everything yeah i think so yeah so it's this engine that's like broken down and he's trying to repair it and she just like asks him a question about what those are and then he like goes on this little side about like the steams and the pressure like the pounds per square inch of steam pressure or whatever uh and then it's back to the scene and um uh it's it's all very uh passionate and languid and and, and bittersweet um and also uh it has other layers to it in which uh, where the main character is um uh his father is chinese and his mother uh is is white and um there's some as the movie goes on it becomes a little um 
uh, of a thing that you realize he's intentionally trying not to answer the question of like quote unquote what he is even when he's asked you know um he's he's not trying not trying to like make that a part of himself but he's also it is a part of himself and he's denying it there's also very much uh, uh i think uh, an undercurrent that michael stipe's character is quite possibly gay and in love with the main character and uh but it but is keeping all that um un, under wraps it's incredible it's, it's a a very uh complex but yeah. lovely um longing movie that uh I, I i don't know why it's uh it's a shame that it uh hasn't been there hasn't been more upkeep yeah but maybe uh maybe that'll change when i write about this movie <laughs> yeah you know you can you're the the one man cheerleader getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, okay. So um, I saw Janisa Bravo's Zola. Oh, did you go to, to a theater? I did. Um, there was me and one other person in the theater. It was a nine thirty show, um, PM. And, uh, I really liked it. Occasionally loved it. Um, there are a couple moments, as you know, uh, I, ins- anytime I feel like the director feels a little bit superior to his or her characters, I tend to my, get my hackles up. Okay. And there are there are a couple moments where you you might think where it feels like the director is just sort of making fun of them and not the situation, but it's only for mm-hmm. a few moments. And I feel like for the most part, Janice uh, uh, Bravo does a pretty good job of like humanizing uh, even the most um, sort of stereotypical type characters, and the actors certainly help as as well. That is a that is a solid ensemble. Mm-hmm. They all know where they fit and they all do a great job. I mean, all, all of them. I mean, at this point, I think you said this, but like, you know, that Coleman Domingo, I mean, he's just hitting one, uh, one yeah. home run after another. Yeah. And this, th- there are some choices in here that I wouldn't give away, but when he gets upset, there's a <laughs> sudden shift and you're like, Oh, okay <laughs> yeah. and that's a hard th- and you know what i mean i do that's and also hard, i think that's a hard thing who are, for an actor to pull off people who are familiar with the tweet sure. thread source material might also know what you're referring to yes yes um, um but yeah. if if like myself you were not yeah. then that comes it is a, it is a delightful and horrifying surprise <laughs> um here's the thing and I don't know if anyone anyone else has said this, but given these types of characters, the tone of the film and the way it was shot, for my money, Janice Bravo should just adapt Elmore Leonard uh, books. Oh, 
everything about this feels um, uh, Elmore Leonard to me. Like, can't you just see uh, the the roommate character whose name escapes me because you don't find out until pretty late? Yeah. Um, doesn't he just feel like right out of an Elmore Leonard novel? I, I had to thought of that do. comparison, but I think uh, that reminds me of something in our best of the year so far um, episode that Scott was pointing out the movie about how it can be very funny and then very threatening and tense, like in yeah. the same breath. And that's kind of an Elmore Leonard uh, uh, trait. Yeah. I mean, it really like once that feeling got its hooks in me, cause I've, I've obviously I've seen a number of movies uh, based on his books, but I will, I've also read a number of his books and it is that kind of thing where you're seeing characters who are many of whom are sort of putting on a, a specific front uh, and are often lying to each other. And there are varying levels of capability. Uh, and you also realize like there are, there are characters that are willing to go as far as they need to go. And there are characters that aren't all of that comes into play here. And that's a function of the script and the actors and yet another wonderful score by Mika Levy. Um, which I was just listening to today, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's and which has so many great um, choices. Yeah, because like, he like sort of emphasizes the whole like let me tell you a story nature of it with the like harp type yeah. of like. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, also the soundtrack has this is something I, I used to love back in the '90s when you'd buy a soundtrack CD and it would have clips of dialogue from the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that. And so the, the 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 soundtrack on Spotify has some clips, and it reminded me because it's been so long since I've seen it of. Uh, a very funny line that we got one of the biggest reactions of um, of the movie back when I saw it at Sundance, which is just, we meet a new character and it freezes and she says, it'll be 24 hours before I hear this bitch voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just, it's, it is a, it's a one, it's wonderfully written, like the, the ability to adapt this and then the choice of the director to always remind us how this started by having the tweet sound at specific moments. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah. that's a specific, it's, yeah. it's weird. Like this is an extremely stylistic film and yet somehow it feels down to earth at the same time. It, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's really special. This movie. Yeah. I think it, I mean, I, I'll reiterate something that I think I said um, on that same episode when Scott was talking about it, that, um, the way that it brings newer forms of visual media into the established form of movies yeah. is what I think needs to happen. Like yeah. when uh, an entrenched institution, whatever it is, sees the new thing coming and says, we're above that. Right. But you, you can't stop the tide. That's how institutions fail. That's why, as we have, as, as Scott talked about, we did a whole episode with Scott, like movies are becoming less and less culturally relevant because mm. um, I, I, the, there's a, they're keeping themselves at a distance. They're, um, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Like an Ouroboros, they're just uh, yeah. um, self, just repeating themselves. What I'm saying is Zola could save cinema. <laughs> Um, that's the argument that i'm that i'm making other thing i'll say uh you mentioned coleman domingo um is it it's he 
because of who you know, you and I are movie people. We see him in movies. Yeah. He never he never sings in movies, but he's like a Broadway like he's yeah. a song and dance man who's like has a beautiful voice. The only yeah. reason I know he has a beautiful voice is because he sings in um, one of the all time best episodes of BoJack Horseman, which is saying something. Right. Um, the old Sugarman place. Uh, he plays. Is he supposed to be a fly? He's supposed to be some sort of bug that can fly. I think it's mm-hmm. a fly. Um, and he has a, in that episode, he has a duet with Jane Krakowski, who's playing a character from like 60 years in the past. It's like a time. I don't know. Do you remember the episode I'm talking about? Uh, not offhand. I, I was looking up his filmography and I remember, and I saw that he was, was it's, in it and I looked him up. Yeah. It's the episode where Bojack spends the summer uh, hiding out at his grandparents' old, old place, lake house, and fixes it up with the help of a neighbor played voice by Coleman Domingo. But then mm-hmm. there's a very beautiful song at the end. Um, anyway, uh, I love Coleman Domingo. That's the point. Yeah. And and the whole cast, I mean, you know, last year, I mean, I was singing the praises of Riley Keough in The Lodge, and her, her character in that couldn't be more different than her character in this. Uh, and it's just, that's good because I feel like as good as she is in Zola, she maybe a little bit too often plays characters kind of, kind of in this area. If you look at like Logan lucky and like, um, right. uh, American honey, which she's great in, but it's a, it's kind of a similar character. Um, I like that there's, that there's other things. So I feel that I, I've said yeah. that about Riley Keogh. I always said, also said about Juno temple. Juno temple is incredibly talented, um, and gets too often just plays like sexy dumb girl <laughs> you know yeah it's i picked uh, the wrong time to stop talking you were mid coffee sip oh that's right uh yeah listeners uh if you haven't obviously you've already heard how good zola is in general but certainly i will uh throw my throw my voice in there as well go and see it and see it in the theater it's a, it is a good looking movie as yeah. well all right um last one for me movie i watched last night a new documentary called the witches of the orient which is a documentary about the uh, uh <laughs> the japanese women's volleyball team in the 1960s that went on to represent japan uh, at the 1964 tokyo uh, olympics and they had um, volleyball in the olympics that far back uh that was the first year actually oh all right it was the first year for both judo and volleyball that's okay. uh, that comes up in the movie I, I didn't know that either um but um Another thing I didn't know, and still, like, even though I've seen the documentary, I know that I still can't wrap my head around, is just how popular the women's volleyball team was in Japan in the 60s, <laughs> to the point where there were, like, there was a, uh, an anime based on their exploits that itself was so influential that, like, Girls volleyball manga and anime remains a subgenre to this day. Sorry, manga, Boy. I have to say it right. Boy, talk about uh, talk about your the subcultures that you're discussing, like people who love a certain thing. Yeah, this is not even a subculture in some places. I, I mean, yeah, this is apparently a popular uh, form, and it's all because of this team. Um, and the documentary tells the story of uh, of the team, which uh, also has like a weird beginning. They were like all women who worked at the same factory and the factory in this small town, like sponsored its own volleyball team. And that's how they started was being fact. And they would literally like they played for the factory. So they would work the uh, more they would work half days at the factory and then spend the second half of their day practicing <laughs> volleyball. Um, uh 
and then they got so good that they ended up going on this like worldwide tour. They won something like 250 something matches in a row without a, without a loss um, and ended up being so this team that was initially, yeah, uh, uh, run by a, a factory in a small town ended up being selected sort of as a group to represent hmm. Japan at the first ever uh, women's volleyball tournament in Tokyo in 1964. Um, so yeah, it's, a sports documentary story, but the story that I'm telling makes it sound more conventional. I should tell you, this is directed by, uh, Julien Ferreau, who made one of the best documentaries of the past five years, John McEnroe in the realm of perfection, hmm. which is a movie that is ostensibly about John McEnroe, but it's, uh, more, uh, about why someone, films John McEnroe, the technique of filming John McEnroe versus the technique of being John McEnroe. It's a weird, he has a weird take on things and he also has really great taste in music. Um, uh, to the, oh, so much so that someone, you're a, you're, so I'm watching the movie last night and there's all these like songs. There are, there are multiple sections in the movie that are essentially little music videos. He lets like, picks a song that's a play in full and uses uh, practice footage. Like the first one is, um, like practice footage mixed with footage of the textile like machinery at the factory working. And it's sort of, they sort of bounce off one another and it's almost like the machines are like dancing to the music and the players are dancing well. So there's these little music videos and there was one that came up that I'm, I was watching this at home on a screener. Um, and it came up and I'm hearing like Jason Little's voice and I'm like, Oh, this is granddaddy. Hmm. Right. But I get out my, my shazam because i can't i don't write i can't place the song <laughs> right and i like tried to shazam it shazam is like i have no idea what uh, you're talking about um and so it, but i realized in the end credits jason little actually wrote two original songs for this movie oh wow um so uh yeah this julian Fro definitely has uh uh his finger on the pulse when it comes to good music there's also yeah. there's some opera in this it's all over the map there's a ported head song um uh and he also works in a lot of footage from that anime that I was talking about from the, yeah. from the sixties. Why wouldn't um, you? I know in ways that are fun. Like there's a, like during the climactic, like <laughs> Olympic match, which the movie for all the ways that it's not a traditional sports documentary, it's still much like same as the John McEnroe did. It builds to a, like a climactic final match and you get that, you get that. So even if you are a sports documentary fan, which I sometimes am, you get that too. You get that mm -hmm. jolt of like, Oh, I get to like get invested in a game. And during that scene, during that sequence of this, uh, um, uh, this climactic match, uh, between Japan and the USSR, you're hearing the Japanese announcers, the actual Japanese announcers giving the play by play of the Olympic game, but he keeps cutting to footage of announcers in the anime. Like, so these animated, announcers being very animated and like wiping yeah. sweat from their brow and stuff. And so it's like, he's, he's using it to, to play off, uh, off of each other. Um, the movie is so fun. Uh, it has, it's not just, it's like with John, the Matt John McEnroe one, it's almost, a, 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 it's mostly made out of existing footage. This one has a little bit new, more new footage, I think than the McEnroe one did. Um, but the new footage is all the team, now like they like get together for for lunch and so like he does this great like <laughs> the introduction of the team where you're seeing like a sweet old lady you know uh having lunch with their friends and, and catching up and then it'll cut to her in her you know 
heyday playing and like freeze frame and give like this badass like tarantino like uh <laughs> you know in the glorious bastards type of like uh who's the the i now i forget the character in glorious bastards who gets that big intro that that like uh uh oh right exploitation movie uh intro um but it's uh it's the movie's just a, a, a ton of fun but also I, i'm just making it sound i'm forgetting that it also has a a point or not a point but it has a question um which is something you and i talked about that we like documentaries that are curious yeah um the movie seems to be prodding you to ask if you're a person and your memories are so public yeah how much of your memories that you have are actually your private memories or are you remembering are these women now when they tell the story about like oh we overcame this adversity or we got together and made this fateful decision is that really how it happened or are their memories being informed by how the story has been told by the the japanese media or or the or these fictionalized uh media uh it's a really fascinating movie and julian fro has become uh, i mean like uh, i i can't wait to see what um weird take on sports he has next (laughs) 